to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. We spent uh, all of this school semester going through the 11th chapter of Hebrews, uh, just a little bit at a time. This is a chapter that is filled with examples of people and groups of people who, uh, who walked by faith, lived by faith, um, and folks that we can look at and, and pattern our lives after in the ways that uh, that God is affirming in this 11th chapter of Hebrews. Um, and it's, it's been, uh, to me, it's been interesting to prepare each week and uh, to kind of see the, just where God's going to take it. Um, I was worried when we first started off that, uh, I guess kind of worried is the wrong way, but wrong word to, th- to think about. But part of me was like, what happens in like week 10 when you're like, okay, remember last week? It's the same stuff. You know, same stuff, live by faith, trust the Lord, uh, don't trust your circumstances, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but the chapter has, has proven to, to not be as, it's as repetitive as I guess I thought it was going to be maybe at first. Um, there's just been different angles, and I think the Lord has uh, led us as a congregation through kind of an interesting path uh, through there. And so we get to the 30th verse, which uh, you don't need to turn to it, you can stay where you are. Uh, in Joshua 6 for tonight. But we're going to put verse 30 up on the screen. It simply says this, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Um, the like Previously we, we had looked at Moses and the Israelites and their exodus and and the tremendous amount of faith that it took to, uh, for them to follow the Lord forward and even to follow Him across the Red Sea uh, just took a tremendous amount of trust and faith and really believing that God was in charge of everything and that this was His plan. And they followed Moses. And um, when we get to Joshua 6, there's a lot of things that have happened since the Red Sea crossing. Uh, a very poor synopsis would be they got to the other side they, you know, they had the, the time at Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given. They also um, apparently put all their gold into a big pot and melted it down and made an idol to worship while Moses was up on the mountain. And Moses comes down and that's not cool. And so he breaks them and goes back up and gets another set of commandments. And, and there's this giving of the law. And uh, we see the, the people of Israel on this pattern of... Uh, really trusting that God is their God, you know, the God of the Hebrews, uh, Yahweh, um, that He is like the one true God, and that He is their God, and that He's going to lead them into this land. They they will be very faithful, and then they will go through a, a time where they are when they don't trust at all, and they panic, and they fear, and they look to some other source uh, for joy and trust, and and they just kind of go back and forth. Really, it's kind of just this up and down. Uh, journey that the Israelites are on, and uh, and so what God is trying to do is He's trying to lead them from Egypt into this land, like the best land on the planet. He's going to give it to them, but they don't really they don't trust Him very much. They trust Him a little bit, but then they kind of they kind of go back and forth. And um, God knows that they 
the trust they're going to have to have in him in order to go into this land where all these people already live and uh, go and basically take this land from them that God was going to give them, it was going to require a, a kind of trust that this group of people did not have. They simply didn't trust him enough. Um, God knows what it's going to take in order for us to walk in faith through certain circumstances. And he looked at this group of people and he's like, look, you don't, have, you don't trust me enough. And so rather than taking them from point A to point B, he took them kind of on this like, strange path when you look, on it, on a, you look at it on a map. Uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense why he didn't just march them right in. But he's like, if I march you right in, you're going to freak out and turn around. Um, so I'm going to take you over here and I'm going to teach you to trust me. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take you to a place where there is no water and I'm going to provide water for you. Take you to a place where there's no food. I'm going to provide food for you. I'm going to take you to a place where you don't know where to go, and I'm going to like physically like show you something to follow as a group uh, that I will will lead you. And so he he said, I'm going to take you over to the side, teach you to trust me, get your get your faith in me to where it needs to be, then then put you back on that path, take you straight in, and it'll be fine. Uh, so he brings them off to the side, and they just they just wouldn't learn. They ju- they just refused and they dug their heels in and and whatever and so um what happened was everyone who came across the red sea like that group everyone who was was over the age of 20 they uh they never made it back onto the path into the promised land they they stayed off to the side and they died they lived out the rest of their days off to the side in this up and down up and down uh pattern and they just wouldn't get it wouldn't get it wouldn't get it and when they were all dead, these kids who were teenagers when they walked across the Red Sea, or they were children, or they weren't even born yet, you had this whole new generation who, who had the faith that it was going to take. Like this was the generation that was going to trust God enough to go into this land and take it. Their, their parents, they didn't have the faith. Their grandparents didn't have the faith. This generation grew up, and they were paying attention And they were learning. And they weren't going to get it all right. And God wasn't saying you have to be perfect before you can go. He said you you have to have a certain kind of trust and I'm going to build it in you. And so this group, um, once all those those other people had passed away, this group of who were now adults and and all these generations underneath them, they had the faith it was going to take. God takes them and he starts to march them through. They cross over the Jordan uh, on dry land. Again, they uh, set up the 12 stones, the memorial stones that were there. Um, they uh, basically reestablished themselves as a nation. And now in chapter 6, we get to the point where uh, it's time for them to go in and, and take the first city. So there's this, this entire land that God's going to give them. They'd spent so much time wandering around the desert, learning to trust, learning to trust, learning to trust. Now they're ready, and Jericho is the first city that, that they're going to take. Now Jericho is very, uh, is very strategic in, in a number of ways, and that's something that we need to keep in mind. This was not a random city. This was not the first one on the, on the map, necessarily. Uh, this was, it was completely on purpose that God chose Jericho. Jericho is what many, many believe is the oldest established city in the world um, that, and that's of all the cities this is the oldest one um, it was in a in a place where uh, you it had a natural water source that would um, just by God's perfect design would naturally irrigate like 2500 acres of land 
And so it was this perfect place to have all these crops and everything. It was positioned uh, high enough to where you could see everything around it. There were no, there were no cities that you could see from, from anywhere around it. It was kind of the only thing that was there. It's just kind of on the north side of the Dead Sea. Uh, it's just perfectly located. I mean, it was ideal. It was the place that you wanted to be. Um, and so it was strategic in, in that sense. It was strategic in the sense that it was uh, fortified, so it had this wall all the way around it to protect it from everything. It was up high, so it was hard to get to. Um, it just wasn't the kind of place that outside armies were going to be able to come in and take very easily. Um, it was strategic. Uh, let me see, what else is right now? Um, the climate was apparently just perfect. Uh, everything about it was ideal. Um, it was really the most strategic thing about it is like it was strategic in the overall plan as well. Like God, as he's leading them into the land, he knows what's ahead, he knows what's going to happen, and how it's going to happen, and what it's going to take. And it's almost like he's like, okay, I need to really, I'm just going to really like show off. I'm going to just blow their minds with this first one. You know, the first conquest needs to really, really stand out. Um, it's strategic, even in their storyline. And so from a military standpoint, from an economic standpoint, uh, from just the fact that it, it seemed to be impenetrable. You know, it was strategic. It was just strategic in a number of different ways. So here's this city, and in chapter 6 is where Joshua goes before the folks, and he's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to take it. Uh, so pick up, look at verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Okay? So basically they've, they've closed in the walls of the city, they know that the Israelites are outside. Um, they'd already sent in uh, some spies to kind of check things out. And Rahab had, had uh, hidden them and stuff like that. And that she's next in chapter 11, so we'll talk about her next week. Um, but they, they knew, all right? These Canaanite folks knew. So they, they get inside the, the fortress, and they're like, we're just, we, you know, everybody in. And they know, and they're watching. Nobody came in, nobody came out. They're kind of just waiting to see what happened. Verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. It was a pretty powerful statement. Uh, just, it's kind of like God saying, Okay, Jericho, is that, it's really mine, and I'm, I'm giving it to you as a gift. Like, here you go. Here's the whole city. I'm sure Joshua, who was fairly new at being a like, military commander, was like, I don't think that's how it works. God's like, Okay, you'll see. Uh, verse 3. Uh, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. This, thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. Just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord, went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. 
The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth, until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the, in the morning, and all the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. Okay, so uh, I know there's a lot of detail in there, which I think is really is like pretty sweet. But uh, so the instruction was literally: you're just gonna you're gonna get in this formation with the ark of the covenant, and in, in the middle, and then uh, you have the you have the priests by the ark, and then the armed men, and then the uh, the rear guard back behind them. And you're gonna make this this like formation, and you're gonna march around it. And those priests they're gonna make all kind of racket, but you don't say a word. You just walk. Walk around it one time, go back to the camp. Go walk around it the next day, go back to the camp. For six days, walked around it one time, each time, and that happened uh, for six days. And then on the seventh day, verse 15, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Okay? That, that means exactly what it sounds like. Everything gets destroyed. Uh, every person, every animal, every home. And I understand that brings up a lot of other questions, but that's not for tonight. Uh, so, yeah, we can talk about it after if you want to. Uh, verse 17, And the city and all that's in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So he, so he tells them, like, don't take anything, basically. Like, destroy everything, except for these really valuable items as we go into the treasury. Everything else, destroy it. Don't take anything home as a souvenir. Which, if you know, as we've talked about a couple of times, Achan takes some stuff and buries it later on, and it's just a whole mess or whatever. But he says not to do that. So verse 20 the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. So everything happened exactly as God said it was going to happen. Walk around it in this formation once a day for six days. On the seventh day, walk around it seven times. Then have the guys... Uh, blow the, the trumpets, and then as, when that's done, uh, have everybody just yell. Then every, the whole, like all the walls will fall down, and you better run up the rubble and take the city. So I'm sure that, that Joshua, 
as a rookie army commander, was like, I don't know if that's how this <laughs> needs to work. I could, these, they're going to laugh me right out of office here. Uh, I don't think that that's how it, it works. I'm sure that he probably struggled a little bit, as we all do at times. And I'm sure that he was maybe like, did I really hear God right? Is this really what he said? And probably went home, talked to his wife, and she was like, are you nuts? There's no way that that's going to happen. He's like, no, I think it's, you know, whatever. Who knows how that conversation went? But it happened. He told them, this is what we're going to do. And I like to think that maybe he prefaced it with a little bit of, this is going to sound wacky, but just, just hear me out, you know. But he told them, here's, here's what God said to do. And these folks were like, let's do it. Tell us, repeat the formation again so we make sure we get it right. Ark in the middle, priests in the trumpets, guys with swords and stuff, the rear guard. Okay, we got the formation right. Let's, let's go. And they walked around this sucker. And so, you don't, again, you don't need to, to turn to it, but uh, in, in Hebrews 11, we'll put verse 30 up again. Um, they walked around the city. They did seven times. They, on command, all screamed at it, and the walls fell down. And this is what, look at what verse 30 says again. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, the walls fell down. The wall, it doesn't say by the shouts, you know, by the vibrations coming out of the, the deep bellows of these, you know, mighty men of valor or whatever. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything like that. It says that, the, that their faith... Is what made the walls drop. So, okay, so whose whose faith made the walls come down? It was the group's faith? It was the, it was this, this corporate communal faith that they had. The verse before this talks about the Israelites walking across the Red Sea. This one talks about an, uh, this group who does this. These are two of the verses where it's not about an individual; it's about a group of people. It's a collective faith that makes these walls come down. According to this verse, um, faith is not, it's not just your faith. It's also our faith. Like it's not just for, it's not meant to be this individual pursuit alone. It's, it's corporate as well. It's both. Um, so I want to point out three things that we see in Joshua 6 about corporate faith that I think are worth our time. Um, so, uh, all right, so there's three, three bullet points that you can make for my note-taking friends. Uh, and it's all, it's, you're just going to look at the things that they did together. All right? Uh, the first thing they did, it's kind of obvious, they, they walked together. Like they literally walked around the city together. Look at verse 8 again in, in chapter 6. Just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets, ram's horns before the Lord, went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord following him. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets. The rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you, and then you shall shout. Verse 11, so he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came to the camp, spent the night in the camp. They walked together. They had to group up at some point and get into this formation as was detailed and uh, make sure that everything was just like I wanted it to be. And then they had to start walking. 
And Jericho is a big city, and so they had a, it took a while, and they walked all the way around it. And these priests are blowing these trumpets. And it's a ram's horn. Have you ever heard them? It's just the most obnoxious sound you've ever heard. But they were told not to talk. Like, you just walk. You walk with the Lord, like the, the manifest presence of God at the center. You just walk. You let those priests, you let them do their thing. But you just walk. You walk next to these giant walls. You walk all the way around this deal, and then you go back. You go back to the camp. They had to walk together. They had all these details, and they were probably really, really strange. Um, but you think about the imagery there. There's the manifest presence of God, surrounded by men of faith, moving together, walking around this strategic city that God was giving to them. On purpose, not random, all of it fitting together. There's this collective faith that it took. Probably a, a pretty clear message to the Canaanites who lived inside the city, you know? Like, how weird probably was it? Because we know, because Rahab lived, like, in the city walls. Like, I guess it's like, like when Tiger Stadium was made, and, like, there's, like, dorms that used to be on the you know, perimeter of it, uh, which was a creative way to get uh, federal money, apparently, to build it. Um, People lived in the walls of the stadium. People lived in the walls of Jericho as well. So there are people who um, were watching like these, this weirdo group of people with this crazy box thing in the middle and all these trumpets just walk around. And although they weren't saying anything, and imagine what that was like the first day. Like, y'all see, the, y'all see the army? That's that's their army. Super intimidating, you know. And probably the next day, they're like, oh, here they come again. Here they come again. After a couple of days, I'm sure it was just a spectacle, you know, to come and watch them. It had, to, it had to be strategic. It had to be sending a message to the Canaanites. And I don't know what that message was. Uh, it certainly isn't very clear. But it, it had to be on purpose, of course. But think about the message that it, it gave to the Israelites. Like, think about these, these men who are trusting God. They're trusting Joshua as their leader. They're trusting this is the plan. And here they are, they're walking around this giant city with these giant walls. And they know in a couple of days we're going to yell at the wall. You imagine what it was like, like after they made their lap around the city and they go back to the camp. You imagine the conversations they were having. Imagine the, the, them telling their kids, like, I don't know, we just walked around the city. All day. Took a while, but we made a lap and we came back. And their wives were like, oh, big, big warrior guy. You know, did you go for a walk today? I'm like, yeah, I went for a walk today. It's, army life is hard, you know, I guess. And, uh, but think about probably that first day they were like, dude, did you see how big those walls were? Like, did you see how huge this city is? Did you see how impossible this is going to be to take? We don't know how to fight. We don't know whatever, you know. I'm sure they came back and were like, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. And all I know is just thinking like a, like a person, like a, just a human guy, I would imagine after six days of that, one of two things happened. Either their faith completely increased or their intimidation completely increased. One, one or the other, you know. They either felt super confident on day six or they were scared to death about what was coming on day seven. But I think from God's perspective, that's, that's like win-win, you know. Because when, when you've like encircled something that many times, if your faith increases as that happens, I think that's a huge win. 
If your intimidation increases, I think that's also a win because God knows what's coming next. He's like, oh, I'm just going to blow your mind with what happens tomorrow. You don't even know. Either way, something was happening as they walked together. And as they walked back to camp at night, and as they got up the next day and walked together to the city again and walked around, and something was happening as they walked together. The thing is, this, this, is, this is cheesy, but we do the same, we do the same thing. Um, and and I, know, I know this is a bit of a reach, and so I just acknowledge that it's a bit of a reach. But, but you think about, think about life and community and how similar it is, you know. That these, like something strategic happens in your life. God's leading you down a path of righteousness for his namesake. Something strategic happens. Um, big decision. Horrible, horrible news that you get. Um, potential, you know, for like some like change in life that you weren't expecting. Um, really like just a strained relationship that just gets to the point of just the breaking point. Um, the conviction over some like a, a sin pattern that you're just ready to deal with, that's going to mean confessing some stuff and that you're just not comfortable with that. You know, just whatever it is, something strategic, you know, just like Jericho was strategic. There are strategic events that God leads us to. Um, and as a, as a community, we rally and we walk around it. Like we encircle it, like in a literal sense. Um, like that's part of life in community together. That's what we're here to do. That's why the Bible is filled with so many uh, instructions of, of how to interact with one another. You know? So here's this group of people who don't, they don't really know how to take this city. So God gives them instructions, and he gives them a, a leader, and he gives them all this stuff, and he's like, you just need to trust me, and, and like, this is how you need to handle this. And God does that with us as well. We come upon something that's strategic, that he is in, that he's going to lead us through, and he shows us how to handle it. Like he shows us in the Bible how to handle it. And he shows us in the goodness of his daily shepherding of our lives how to handle it. And he's like, okay, here's what you need to do. I'm at the center. right? That's me in the middle of all this. I've given you these people that are going to walk around this strategic whatever with you. Maybe it's your close friends and family. Maybe it's your community group. Uh, maybe it's like a, a, a group of just really people that you really trust who will pray with you or whatever. Maybe it's like, I don't know, a couple hundred people that you just throw out the, the, like the alert. Like, I need people in this with me. And you have like hundreds of people respond. I don't really know what it is. But whatever it is, it's okay. I'm going to be at the middle. Uh, there are all these people that I have put in place in your life that are going to get around this, around you, and we're gonna, I'm going to show you how to walk around it, how to encircle it. Um, here's a, a list of stuff that comes from the Bible. Uh, it says, love one another, do not oppress one another, be at peace with one another, show hospitality with one another, uh, that we're members of one another, honor one another, don't judge one another, receive one another, do not excuse one another, do not fight with one another, Serve one another. Don't envy one another. Admonish one another. Wait for one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Bear the burdens of one another. Show reverence to one another. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Submit to one another. Do not lie to one another. Provoke one another to good works. Comfort one another. Concern yourself in the affairs of one another. 
Do not hate one another. Do not speak evil of one another. Pray for one another. Be like-minded toward one another. Do not hold a grudge against one another. Highly esteem one another. Do not be partial toward one another. Have fellowship with one another. Edify one another. Teach one another. Do good to one another. Exhort one another. Minister spiritual gifts to one another. Love one another. Those are all in the Bible. And it's pretty, I mean, that's pretty good instructions. Well, how are we going to walk around this? Well, that's a pretty good list to start with. That's how we're going to interact with each other. That when something strategic happens in your life, and you're like, I'm not sure what to do, um, but God's led me to this. Let's get everybody and let's rally around Christ and let's walk together around whatever, whatever it is. Whatever. So several weeks ago, you know, we implemented uh, like some different, like different format for our community groups, like trying to fall in line with some of these ideas of, of providing a, a context and a structure um, and some like consistent relationships, so that as you go through stuff, you have people that you can turn to and be like, "I don't, I don't really know how to do this." Other people are like, "Well, it's okay, it's okay." We'll support you, we'll listen to you, we'll talk to you, we'll pray with you. We'll, you're not in it by yourself. And I know that, that the way we do our groups, you know, with the time of like, uh, is like three different, three sections of the night. And the first part is exclusively about, about how, like how you're doing with the Lord. Like it's a commandment one, like how is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How is that going? It's exclusively for that because that's the most important thing about us. And so we, we as a group want to be able to care for each other in, that, in the most important way. So it's like, how are you in Jesus? And, and we don't do it in a way, it's not like an off-skate type thing where like everybody has to participate. We don't start, we're going to go start to my left and like everybody has to go. Um, because I know it's not everybody's personality. And just between us, it's not my personality either. Like I, it, would, it just doesn't vibe with who, how I'm put together. Um, so if you are resistant to it, then hey, me too, okay? Uh, cool. But even though I'm resistant to it in my personality makeup, my mind has to trump that at, at some point. Like, I have to understand that, man, it is good to have an opportunity to come in and say, this is how I'm doing with the Lord. This is how you can be praying for my walk with Him. This is how you can walk with me around this deal. Uh, and then we have time in the Word together. And then we close about spending time with like, okay, whose life is he sending you into? Who are you caring for? Who are you, who are you loving? Um, who are you, like, you know he sent me into this life to love them as Jesus does. So that we can be supporting because sometimes God's leading you and that's the strategic thing. You're like, I'm up against this and I know I'm supposed to love this person well and they hate me and I don't know what to do. Or they have all these questions and I don't feel equipped to answer or this and this and this. And so it's like, cool, let's, as a group, put Jesus at the middle. Let's get around and let's walk around this strategic thing that he's led you to. We do that together. And you know what's incredible is that there are just, there are times when, when we don't have the faith. You know, we just don't. And I think it's amazing that God put the world together and put the church together in such a way He's like, okay, when you don't have the faith, I'm going to surround you with people who do. People who will say, we, we have the faith for you. We're going to support you in this. We're going to walk with you. We're going to encourage you along. We're going to take steps as a group. You're not by yourself. No one walks alone in this. 
Uh, he's designed that because sometimes we, we all just need that. We need people who believe when we don't believe. And so we tackle stuff like this together. Um, faith is not just for the individual. It's corporate. Okay? It's your faith. It's my faith. But it's also it's, it's our faith together. And I think we can learn a lot from like, thinking along these lines and understanding this, that it's their faith, their corporate faith, that made the walls come down. And here we are, kind of doing the same thing. Looks a little different, it's different person to person, small group to small group, you know, that kind of stuff. But conceptually, it, it kind of rang, rang true the same way um, in studying through it. So that's the first thing, is they, they walk together uh, around this strategic city that God wanted them to take. We walk together around strategic things in our lives that, that he want, is ready for us to conquer uh, and to get through. So, the second thing. Um, the second thing it did is they, uh, they shouted together. Alright, look at verse 16. And at the seventh, seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. And look at verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up to the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. They shouted together. They had six days of these dudes walking around, and they could not say a word. They could only bask in the massiveness of what was before them. And I kind of wonder, after six days of having to be quiet, if they were like, finally, finally we get to do something. It's maybe not what we had in mind, but we just get to yell. And that response was a demonstration of their faith, but also their demonstration of their trust in the power and authority of the Lord. Like God said to yell at it, we're going to yell at it. He said we're going to scream and the walls are going to drop down. Okay, well then, let's yell at it. Let's make it a good one. And so we, we kind of do our own kind of yelling, right? Uh, they, they shouted. Who knows what they shouted? I would love to know. But think about it. What's going through your mind? Like, all right, we get to shout something. What are you going to shout? What are you going to shout? I don't know. What do we shout? Well, I mean, we shout prayers, don't we? For one another, with one another. In our group format, we spend time praying together. We shout truth to one another. We shout songs when we come into here. I think sometimes, like, it's very easy to uh, under value, underestimate, whatever, exactly what happens when the saints come together, I mean, how powerful this can be. If you've ever been in a room where you are, you're doing terribly, and you don't really want to be there, and then the worship leader stands up, or the pastor stands up, whatever, and anyway, things get to rolling, everybody around you singing, and you're kind of pouting or whatever, you're not, you're not having it, and you're whatever. And you start to realize, like, man, all these people around me, 
They're declaring stuff that I want to declare, but I just kind of can't. They're believing something that I'm, I'm not quite there yet, but I want to be. God, when God uses the corporate worship experience to edify us, to challenge us, to break us, to remind you, like even, even down to like, like you're literally never alone. Like you're in this room surrounded by people. Uh, you're, you might feel alone. You might be trying to be alone in it, but God won't let you. And we come together and we start like shouting some of these songs and declaring these truths. And, and these are, are at times prayers that we are like saying corporately together. It, ha- it builds you up. It really does. They shouted together. We shout together. Whether it's praying or speaking the truth to each other or when we sing, it is a powerful thing for the people of God to know that you're not in it by yourself. That's why in the book of Hebrews, there are others like, don't stop meeting together. Some of you have stopped for whatever reason. Don't stop. It's too important. This is a valuable time. So when you don't feel like coming, that's when you need to come the most probably. And so we gather together and we shout together like they did. Um, the, third, the third one, we saw it in verse 20. The third thing is they conquered together. They conquered the city and they did it together. Like it, it wasn't the most likely victory. And it was not people who were necessarily trained in the art of war. And it certainly was not a method that anyone had ever used before. Let's go yell at it. They yelled and the walls came down, but then they had to go up into the city and take it. And they did. God said, you will be victorious because I'm giving you this city. At the end of the day, they were victorious because God had given them that city. It was his and they knew it. It was his victory and they were perfectly aware that it was not because of their skill or whatever. It was only the Lord. But because he is generous, he shared with them the spoils of his victory. We're the same way. We come up on strategic stuff. We come up on obstacles. We come up on the things that frustrate us and discourage us and that we aren't sure we're going to be able to get through. And you know what happens? When we listen to what he says in the Bible, and we look at those one another's and we say, that list, everything that, that Jesus tells us and everything is described there, that is not a joke to me. I'm going to take that seriously. I'm going to trust him and walk in community this way. When you come up on something strategic and you bring people in the loop and you're like, hey, Let's rally around Jesus, and let's, I need some help in knowing how to walk around this. Let's walk around this together. And as you're going, at some point, you know what starts to happen? You, you, get the, you get the signal that it's time to start yelling. And you start yelling, and you know what happens? The sucker starts crumbling. It really does. That there is victory in front of us. That whatever it is you're facing, and you're so scared of it, or you're so uncertain, and you're, there's whatever, it, it's not... Um, it's not this great, mysterious impossibility to the Lord. Why would He lead you to something only to have you fail? Why would He lead them to do all these things and then be obedient and then like, they yell at it and the sucker just stands there still? They're like, well, great. What was that all about? We conquer stuff together. Your win is our win collectively. Your struggle is our struggle together. If you are a loner, 
Like, if you're choosing to walk alone and stuff, then you're choosing to operate outside of the kingdom of God. That's not how God designed the church to work. It doesn't happen that way. Now, if, if you don't want to open up to your whole community group and all, you don't like the structure and stuff like that, I, that's, that's fine. I'm not trying to, like, beat people into, like, submission into this, like, new way or whatever. You don't, you don't have to do that. Your group doesn't have to know every detail of your life that's going on. But some, some people do. Some people do. People need to know, they need to know how to walk with you around whatever it is. And so if the community group is not the group, of, group, that's fine. It needs to be somebody. That's how he made us. And so we walk around it. We do it together. We struggle together. We have victories together. We go through uncertainty together. Nobody walks alone. That's not how it works. And so I don't, I don't know where it fits into your life. But their collective faith was on display here. Our collective faith is on display as well. And how we engage in like communal life together. It's not just an individual faith, it's a corporate faith. And so that's what we're trying to do here. That's, that's why we gather together. That's why we have covenant membership. That's why we do all the things that we do. It's why we have small groups. It's why we have ministry teams. It's why we're trying to do this. The gospel has got to get out there. We are the agents that take that, and he is refining us and doing it collectively and together. Um, and so I don't know where it lands with you, um, but I know it lands somewhere because the word of God never returns void. Uh, let's stand together. We're going to sing just a little bit before we go. So if you would, just, just begin to pray. And really ask the Lord, if, what's in this for you tonight? Like what about what happened at Jericho? What does that have to do with you tonight? Is it about walking together with others? Is it about shouting together? Is it about conquering together? What is he stirring in you?